Welcome to Dentists, Puns, and Money. I'm your host, Sean Terrell. My guest in this episode is Dr. Tom Reed. Dr. Tom is the owner dentist at City Center Dental Group in the Denver area, and he's been a private practice dentist owner since the year 2000. In our conversation, Dr. Tom and I discuss mentorship within the dental profession, specifically how private practice owners can think about mentoring their younger associate dentists. We discuss what Dr. Tom has learned by mentoring nine associates in his career and how he's built a system in his practice to make sure the expectations of the relationship are being met for both the mentee and the mentor. Hey, quick reminder, our company, Dentist Exit Planning, helps dentists leaving clinical with the personal financial planning piece of that transition, specifically how to reduce that massive lifetime tax bill and how to optimize living off of your assets. If you're interested in guidance on your taxes and your income as you transition out of clinical, schedule an initial consultation with us on our website, which is dentistexit.com. Again, that website, dentistexit.com. And with that introduction, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Dr. Tom Reed. All right, Dr. Tom Reed, welcome to Dentist's Puns and Money. I am excited to hear more about your story and share your story with the audience. Thank you for joining us. Oh, you're quite welcome. Thank you for the opportunity to spend a little bit of time this great afternoon to uh, go over all things dental and uh, have a good time in the process. I'm looking forward to a lively discussion. We've talked a little bit offline and uh, we've had no shortage of things to to bounce back and forth to each other, but maybe just for the audience who is meeting you for the first time, could you share a little bit about yourself and your background and kind of your journey in dentistry up until this point? Yeah, sure. Well, I graduated from Miami University of Ohio back in 1991 and picked up a degree in economics there and somehow managed to get excited about and taking on the challenge of going to dental school. And so ended up in Chicago and finished up at Northwestern University. Sadly, no longer exists, but uh, as my alumni, and I'm very proud of that opportunity, uh, that immediately turned into a general practice residency back in Ohio at Ohio State University, where my wife was actually from, because we were contemplating making that our home. And we kind of missed the city, so we moved back to Chicago when I was finished. And that began my uh, private practice journey, which was multiple associateships uh, there. We got fed up with the city, ended up back in Denver, Colorado, where my family is from, where I'm still at to this day. And I've been in private practice here ever since. Uh, Really started the ownership track in 2000, buying into a group practice and subsequently buying out all of my business partners or in in effect, retiring them from practice. So that was like folding in four practices and I've acquired two additional books of business and one close by that I folded in the charts on a chart acquisition, and then more recently bought a secondary location on the other side of town that I manage with my current business partner. Gone through a lot of associateships uh, of our own here, which in told I think is about nine if I counted them correctly. Uh, Three of those folks are still with me to this day. Two are thriving associates. And like I mentioned earlier, one is is my business partner. And I'm pretty grateful for that opportunity. So you're in the Denver, Colorado area now, and you have a practice that originated from how many practices originally that is now folded into your one practice? Yeah, that flagship location was a cluster of about five small, and we'll call them small size practices. You know, in today's market, you know, they might be in the half million to three quarter million dollar annualized revenue 
operations if they ran solo, but they were all under one roof. I bought one of them initially, one of those folks retired out, and then the remaining four, I gradually bought out their books of business and sort of folded that into one. So that's like a five-in-one shop where we're at still today with our main location. And then the second location is a separate physical facility about 25 miles across town where we have a associate doctor and and completely different team manning that operation for us up, up there. And so and then we also acquired a book of business on the outside of a local practice was folding up. And so we acquired their charts and folded that into the flagship. And that was probably six, seven years ago we did that. Okay. So yeah, there's a lot of uh, inflection points in there. I guess if you had to characterize or sum up kind of your journey in dentistry this far, thus far in the last 20 to 25 years, I guess, what are some of your big takeaways and things that you've learned through all those uh, transitions and fold-ins and, and, other, and other pieces? Yeah, you know, time is a huge factor. Unfortunately, a couple of those retiring docs just weren't able to come to grips with it was the time, you know, the, the, to let it go and actually just hang it up. So I carried them on out of the goodness, graciousness of my uh, benevolence. And, you know, we kind of wore out their, their welcome, so to speak, after a while. And what that made it difficult for was the actual transition and getting those patients either accustomed to, to myself and my other docs in the practice or having the bandwidth to bring other younger doctors in to get to work. It just had too many, would end up with too many mouths to feed um, mm. with too few of patients to do it with. So that was a challenge. You know, that original group was a very clinic oriented practice. I mean, we're talking absolute basic bread and butter care, and we've evolved into a, a super generalist uh, operation today with every facet of dentistry being offered under one roof here with all general dentists uh, li- licensed and qualified and trained to provide those services. So that was a big evolution. The other big one has been the move away from insurance dependency as well, which mm. took quite a bit of effort, which is a whole nother rabbit hole for sure. <laughs> gotcha. No, that's uh, that's probably another yeah. podcast for another day is the, the fee-for-service uh, model and the transition for how to get there. But it's definitely mm-hmm. a, a trend within dentistry right now. So uh, I mentioned earlier that we we talked offline and we're kind of spitballing what would be a good topic for the podcast. And the thing that really intrigued me about your story thus far is that through all the the practices that you've been involved with that you mentioned, you've really had a good opportunity to be a mentor to several dentists throughout your career had mentioned that that had been a, a meaningful aspect of your dental career. And so I'd like to dive into this idea of mentorship because I'm curious what a good mentor-mentee relationship works with, uh, looks like, and then how that can be really beneficial in the, the transition process as an older dentist, so to speak, starts to think about who they want to take over their private practice someday and how they want to think about bringing on another doctor to do that and what a good scenario would look like. So that's really uh, all over the place. But where I'm trying to get is, how do you think about mentorship? Maybe let's just start there. Absolutely. Uh, you know, all of my experience helped me foster my own program that really working hard on mentoring younger practice owners at this point in time. So a different avatar than who we're looking toward um, helping or reaching out to today. But I think it's relevant all the way through. I think there's so much symbiosis that should take place between a mentor and a mentee or a senior doctor and some younger 
doc, you know, folks coming through, it's like an apprenticeship in so many levels. Uh, and there's can't be any assumptions or really any stereotypes thrown on the fire because that'll just ruin the experience out of the gate. You know, I think someone put it to me great one time that knowledge plus experience is wisdom. And there's no shortage of wisdom in our in our elders, in our senior uh, doctors, and particularly in this profession. And there's so much value that that has been created and they've worked so hard to build or what we call a legacy. And I don't think there's a more valuable asset to be transitioned to the younger crowd than that legacy. And, and so I think mentoring those folks and getting them prepared to handle that handoff effectively is really what it's about. So, you know, everybody learns from those experiences, including the, the mentor. And if the mentor isn't equally on their learning frontier with the mentee, then probably not a great relationship. Uh, in my opinion, because I think at the end of the day, if the business is being transitioned, there's an intrinsic and an extrinsic value to it that we know is often argued at the bargaining table over <laughs> which one gets more credit, right? And so I do believe that we can always go find new equipment, find a new place to put a roof over the head of that practice, but you can't really change the, the goodwill uh, mm. or the blue sky of the organization. And that's the real meat and potatoes of the mentorship right there. And without that really effective younger doctor taking the reins, I don't know if the handoff's going to go quite as smoothly. And I worry about, you know, Dr. X who's retired or looking to retire and is cut back and ends up crossing paths with one of their longtime patients at the grocery store who reads them the riot act right there and at the checkout desk and says, you know, how come you left us high and dry this way with, with so-and-so and they're just not you and they're not taken care of the shop the way you did and so on and so forth. And I only say that because I've heard it before and I've never witnessed it firsthand, even though I've gone through a lot of transitions myself inside my own organization. But I, I, I fear for that. And that could ultimately hurt. And depending on how the financial structure was set up for the, the actual uh, remuneration of that business, it could hurt that too, potentially, I would think. So it's easy for me to sit here and see what the benefits would be for a younger dentist to be mentored by someone that's been doing it for 20 or 30 years. What are the potential benefits of, of an older dentist that doesn't necessarily need to mentor younger dentists? What are the benefits to them other than, and maybe including their, their legacy and the legacy of the practice mm. that they've built? That's uh, a great question. And, you know, I guess I don't quite have the experience of being post ownership or in that retirement mode yet, but at you know 53 years of age, it's definitely crossing my mind on, on countless occasions. I'm also thinking about, well, if I want to get top dollar for my org entity, and of course, we're all being tempted these days by all kinds of infusion of hot money into the dental <laughs> uh, space, you know, with DSOs and private equity and you know, multiples of EBITDA instead of percentage of collection discussions and a lot of jargon getting kicked around could be confusing to some. It also could leave um, maybe some retiring docs a little unprepared for what might be coming through the door who could be a qualified candidate to be able to take over the reins of their practice and pay them the value that they've for what they've created. And so I think, you know, a lot of these younger docs are starving for mentorship. And when they, and I, I've witnessed that and worked with them firsthand and folks that I've interviewed and now folks that I'm coaching personally. And that's one of the big things they're looking for and to be a part of something bigger than themselves and hopefully maybe get a seat at the table and have some, have some equity to speak of for it as well. And, you know, 
the other thing too is they're coming into this equation with an unbelievable amount of debt service already on the books before they even have, have hit the ground running as a practice practitioner, much different than our t- my time, you know, when I graduated and certainly probably some of our retiring docs today, given typical age of retirement. So I think having the ability to coach someone younger, you know, it is a feel-good moment. I'm not going to lie. Uh, you know, it is partly, mostly that, and it's that legacy piece. And it's, you know, also departing from the profession and leaving it in a better state than when you arrived. You know, I think that's, I don't know, I feel like that's sort of an unwritten code in our trade as well. You know, basically, I think it comes back to the the real value at the end of the day. And also, here's the last one I'll think of. You know, it's not just you, the practice owner, but it's also your team that has helped you run the organization for all these years or decades. And whom are you leaving them in the hands of at the end of the day? And you have that hanging over your head should that transition not be very effective or be abrupt or not uh, as smooth or to the most qualified individual. So it, it occurred to me that I maybe should have qualified the idea of mentorship a little bit better. So that I think there's a couple layers you could talk about with mentorship. You could mentor younger dentists sort of in a coaching program or an unofficial way, but then you could also mentor people who are working with you as associates mm-hmm. underneath you potentially to move on to whatever's next in their career, whether that's potential ownership in your practice or going on somewhere else. So I know you said you've had nine associate dentists that have worked underneath you, so to speak, in some capacity in your career. What have been the good and the bad lessons that you've learned throughout those different experiences? As much as you can share, I understand confidentiality could be an issue with some of it. Yeah, sure. No, I mean, we won't mention names because that's obviously not relevant. But I think, you know, having the right frame of mind from the get-go and realizing that there's that symbiotic piece, you know, the mentor, it's got to be dialed into optimizing their ability to lead, you know, listening skills and accountability, being truly available at all times and always trying to challenge those mentees out on their own frontier. I think when I first started into no longer being an associate myself, but actually hiring associates, we did it for all the wrong reasons at first. It was just to leverage those individuals to make more money for the business. And at the end of the day, I don't think that was a very good mindset. And it created no meaning or relationship between us and the, uh, and the associates. And they walked. Uh, the standard time frame, according to most uh, recounts, is about 18 months for an associateship before it really starts to, the wheels can fall off and things, they get stir crazy and want to go do the move on. And or the, the mentor has or the owner doc has perhaps done their part to torpedo the relationship. So we skip, we got smart because that revolving door of doctors is not a healthy place to be. We're in the relationship business and your patient base is ultimately who has all the voting rights, I think, in the organization. And they'll tell you, right, firsthand, like, where's Dr. So-and-so? Or how come I keep seeing a new person every single time I come in here? And I've been through that experience as well. So over time, those battle scars started to make me personally realize that we've got to build a relationship with this doctor or doctors and really start to get to work on them. And because we did that and made intentional moves in that direction, we built a system in our organization that enabled almost a plug and play type of format where, you know, if Associate X has reached a point where they're maybe moving or decided to go start their own practice. Yes, it's frustrating and you get upset and, and, and you're sad and all as the practice owner, but you've realized that they've left behind a great 
basis or platform upon which to find the next qualified individual who I'd like to say passes the cultural test first and you can get them boarded, you know, onboarded into the organization and, and hit the ground running. So I think it's important for sort of building that runway for the future of the business. Having never experienced it directly, my takeaway on on a lot of this is that, well, just in general, I believe that in life, most disagreements are about poorly communicated expectations or intentions. Mm -hmm. And I could see how in this situation that would happen a lot. You could have a younger dentist that is coming in that doesn't necessarily want to tip their hand that they only want to be there 18 months, but they do need some experience before they go start their own practice. Mm -hmm. And at the other end of the spectrum, you have an older dentist that, as you said earlier in your career, was maybe thinking about associateship or having associates not with the right mindset. So, and maybe to be fair to all parties, like people's intentions and circumstances can change too. Like Mm -hmm. somebody that's just coming out of school might think they want to leave, but then decides they don't or vice versa. And, you know, like an an owner dentist could say, well, I want to be done clinically in three years. Well, maybe life changes and it's that runway ends up getting extended. So Yes, I, I think open communication is probably a big part of that. And how, maybe as a, another long wind up to a long winded question, how have you thought about some of that that I just mentioned? Oh, it's it's critical. I mean, I think communications uh, platforms in all relationships, in all facets of our life. And I know it gets overused a ton, but it's so true. And it's so funny how we just keep coming back to it over and over and over again is that That is the basis, like you said, of all misunderstandings. And I think for the most part, they're errors of omission or left out information. I don't think anybody ever really intends in their own mind to commit those moves, right? So I think it just ends up being, oh, yeah, I forgot to mention that to you uh, kind of scenario as opposed to, you know, sabotage or or intentional. Never experienced that ever. And I think sometimes that's the fear in us is that as a practice owner, we're going to get sabotaged. I'm afraid to invest so much time, effort, and money into these folks to only have them turn around and leave. And I don't think that could be further from the truth or the fairness to the situation. Like I said earlier, if you do it right and you're effective and you're committed to it, and and the mentors, mentees, excuse me, are also equally committed to the the time piece and the communications and what their needs and wants are, uh, it works really well. And then you have an open transparent basis of of a relationship. And if that person does need to leave, or let's just say maybe something happens and the owner doc is like, man, I just can't do this anymore. And they're ready to step up their departure. They've got a good, good working relationship with those individuals. I think those transitions could be pretty smooth and pretty profitable for both parties involved. And so that would be kind of my take on that question. If that. Yeah. No, and maybe what I think would be helpful next would be a few practical examples of what that looks like. You mentioned you had created a system that's more plug and play. And does that include like check-ins every month? Does that include like reviewing clinical cases? Does that include, you know, evolving life goals? Like my wife got a job here. So maybe me staying here and becoming an associate in two years, like we talked about a year ago, isn't in the long-term future anymore, I guess, without getting into all the weeds of what the system is, could you just kind of hit on a few of the characteristics of what you have created that you think is a much better system than what you started with? Absolutely. Well, first of all, I had no written systems whatsoever. Back in the day, everything was kind of upstairs in the head in that large uh, database. 
and it gets lost very quickly in mine. I don't know about everyone else, but that's just kind of the way it is for me. So we started writing things down and really building a, a system. So, you know, it started with time journaling and figuring out like, what is one going to do throughout the course of a day and a week? And then you start next with checklists and figuring out like, what are uh, places to the ideally high points to check? And then that turned into an onboarding uh, protocol list that we've built and some accomplishments. So timelines, you know, time harnesses, I think are so important. So like in 60 days, we hope to be here, 90 days here and so on and so forth. And then the check-ins are almost in real time because I'm on the floor at our flagship practice, uh, three and a half to four days a week, not always clinical, but certainly readily available. And I have an associate doc here that we check in regularly with. And I'm up at our other uh, flagship practice with that associate doc several days a week, or really, like I like to tell the, these guys, I'm virtually your 2 a.m. friend. So if you have something that's really that urgent, you can always, you know, pick up the phone and call. Uh, let's try to not abuse that, but let's realize that that's always in your back pocket and kind of almost like a, a, a parenting role in so many ways. You know, having been a, a proud parent of three almost grown kids at this point, you learn a lot through that. And so I think there's so many carryovers from parenting and raising kids and getting through the teenage years and college years and so forth, as there is to helping these young docs see a better path for themselves forward without really getting in their way at the same time. So hands-on in real time uh, would be another one. Uh, the last thing you need is for an associate doc to do to me, like I happened uh, quite a few years ago, which they come walking up the um, hallway and they tell you they're bored. I'm like, oh, okay. You know, that wasn't a good day. Uh, didn't make me feel very proud of what I had created here for the opportunity for them. But then it stopped and made me wonder, well, what is their aspirational position as well? So it ended our relationship rather sorely and it shouldn't have. So I think that should never happen because that was lack of communication. And anytime that happens, I generally look to myself first as the leader is like, what did I do? To mess that up. So, so we have that checklist. Now we have an onboarding program. We have our timelines that we like to hit and goals. We have a, an ongoing uh, sort of organic and ever growing reading list of things that we recommend, uh, books and so forth, dental and non-dental alike. We've heavily encouraged reinvestment in themselves through continuing education. So we always provide a, an allowance for our associate docs on an, an annualized year to go and earn some uh, continuing education and invest in themselves. And we help match that investment with them. All the leadership training, you know, I, I think every every person needs their own version of coaching as well. And so I, I have my own personal coaches and all of the learning that I do on that frontier is brought right back to my associates in real time for them to gain benefit from. I mentioned earlier, I have my own private coaching program where I have my own clients that are paying me for my time, but my associates have the best seat in the house because they get all of that at no additional cost to them other than their willingness to sit and listen to me or, or digest the content that I give them. So I have that as well. I could keep going, but that's kind of the no, nutshell of it. No, that's, those are really good practical examples of, of how you built that in. I think that's very helpful to people listening. Uh, it occurs to me that, and you know, you can get into the larger discussion about private versus corporate dentistry and where that's trending. But it occurs to me that if private dentistry is going to keep some level of foothold in, you know, some piece of the pie, that 
they're going to have to do a good job of solving this problem, how to transition private practices to new private owners and mentorship of associates that are brought on is probably mm -hmm. going to remain a big piece of that puzzle. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we don't benefit from the economies of scale that these uh, large organizations do and the, and the backing you know, that they have both in, like I said, financials as well as person power. Uh, they have whole teams dedicated to continuing education, potentially depending on the size of the organization, and certainly dedicated support crew to help foster that. I mean, dentists oftentimes can just be dentists in those arenas, and that works well for many people. But I think for the true entrepreneur in the in the bunch, and like we said at the outset, I don't think there's a more entrepreneurial, maybe it was in the pre-call, the more entrepreneurial element to healthcare than dentistry. And that's mm -hmm. what I love the most about it is it's your own frontier. You can hang a shingle or you can go acquire a book of business. You can fold 10 into one or you can go acquire 10 on your own. You know, there's so many ways to, to go about it. It just depends on how what fits you. But at the end of the day, you need qualified, licensed dentists to be able to do the dentistry so that you can run it, run a business. You know, there's no one else on the team that can do that. So you've got to have a healthy relationship with your doctors if you have associates on board with you uh, to, in order to make that work. And I don't think you can wait to the last minute to all of a sudden say, you know what, it's time to get an associate because I'm ready to exit like real soon. I think that's probably too late. So, and nobody knows what's ahead of them, right? In the future. So some of us are going to unfortunately have some challenges where we're going to be forced to exit private practice well before we were maybe mentally ready for it. And so as such, I think having that um, farm team ready to go, you know, at some capacity is huge. I like that farm team and uh, the hot money reference uh, from a few minutes ago. I also haven't heard that before, but <laughs> that gave me a chuckle. Uh, oh, Dr. Tom, <laughs> yeah. go ahead. Yeah, no, I mean, the, the DSO private equity backed money is super hot. And I think prior to our real huge uptick in, in our interest rate market, or shall we say normalization, of the interest rate uh, environment, this was a place where a lot of that was just coming in to chase some yield because they needed that to support their investment portfolios. And I think that was a huge push. And dentistry is such a bastion of opportunity because it's, I wouldn't call it recession proof, but it's kind of hard to mess it up uh, financially unless you really try. So they know there's a good ROI on that, on that dollar in. So that's probably why we call it hot money. It does have uh, a history of... Uh... A high percentage of profitability, which is what's attractive to some of that hot money, right? Mm -hmm. Dr. Tom, we've had a, a nice, lively conversation. Is there anything that we, we haven't touched on or hit on that you think would be important to convey before we wrap up today? No, I mean, I think inherently we as dentists are like technicians, but there's several hats you have to wear if you're going to be an effective long-term practice owner. And that's that CEO hat as well as your clinical hat. And they don't necessarily fit on the same head at any given moment in time. And you got to know which mode you're in at all times. But more importantly, as a leader of your organization, you have to also appreciate the fact that the culture of your operation is really what, you know, patients are going to be qualified to speak toward and they feel it the moment they walk through the door. And so I think you always have to keep that, you know, all those strategy and tactics are hugely important to the success of your business. We have to have a people first mentality if we're going to really, I think, thrive in this especially in this day and age, more so than ever before. And so optimizing your operation means you got to have great people on your team to help you uh, along the way and get the boat 
rowing in the all the oars going in the same direction at the same time. So I like Peter Drucker's quote, and that's culture eats strategy for breakfast. Mm. So I'll end on that. that. That's really good. It's interesting between podcast recordings today, I was posting in a, in a dental Facebook group and the question was something to the effect of what will keep private dental practices going strong 10 years from now. And the first thing that jumped out to me was uh, the ex- the patient experience. I mean, we live mm-hmm. as much as ever in the United States in a, an experiential economy. So that doesn't mean like you have to have Starbucks in the corner and give people manicures and pedicures while they get their teeth clean. But just I think culture goes a long way to the experience of what the patient feels when they're in mm-hmm. your dental office. And so um, just 100%. to add on what, what you yeah. said there. Um, the name of the podcast is Dentist Puns and Money. Are you uh, ready to roll with your best dental related I, dad joke? I, I am. I have two dad jokes. Um you know, one is dental related and the other one's finance related. So uh, okay. I tried to, I found two. Um, okay. You know, the one is, you know, the lawyer walked into a dental office and simply demanded for a retainer. That one's kind of a, <laughs> it's kind of a pretty, pretty weak. Um, I apologize in advance for this other one, but uh, I just had to share it. And that is, how did the uh, constipated account, accountant fix his problems? I think I know the answer, but I'll leave the punchline to you. Okay. He worked them out with a pencil. <laughs> it's kind of, I'm sorry, audience. Uh, and please forgive me for that one. But uh, I, I thought that was pretty funny. No, that's good. Uh, that is a good one. Uh, Dr. Tom, for those listening that are interested in connecting with you, uh, what's the best way that people can get in touch with you? Well, I'm a pretty open communicator uh, and I welcome uh, text messages. So you can always text me or email me. So my cell phone number is area code 303-906-4788. My email address is dr.tcread at gmail.com. And I would invite any of you to come check out my coaching website, which is dynamicdentalascension.com. All one word. Dynamicdentalascension.com. All one word. Mm -hmm. Got it. That is Dr. Tom Reed, owner dentist at City Center Dental Group in Englewood, Colorado. Dr. Tom, thank you for sharing your story, your expertise, and for being a guest on Dentist Puns and Money. Thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening and following along. Are you a dentist nearing your retirement from clinical or have you already hung up your handpiece? Would you like a treatment plan for the financial components of your exit from clinical? Our company, Dentist Exit Planning, helps dentists like you reduce taxes in retirement and optimize how to best live off your assets, including the ideal time for you to start taking Social Security. If you'd like guidance on those critical pieces or just a second opinion, schedule an initial consultation with us on our website. Our web address is DentistExit.com and there's no obligation for your initial consultation. That website again, DentistExit.com. As a reminder, Dentist Exit Planning and Terrell Advisors LLC is a registered investment advisor. The information presented should not be interpreted or construed as investment, legal, tax, financial planning, or wealth management advice. It does not substitute for personalized investment or financial planning from Dentist Exit Planning or Terrell Advisors LLC. Please consult with your accountant and attorney for tax and legal advice. This podcast conveys the views and opinions of Sean Terrell and his guests 
and the information herein should not be considered a solicitation to engage in a particular investment, tax planning, or financial planning strategy. Information presented is for educational purposes only, and past performance is not indicative of future results.